Isn't that beautiful? A Cry, A Smile, A Dance by Judith Sapuma. It's a 2000-2001 album, I think it is, if my memory serves me correct. A beautiful one. If ever there was an album that announced an artist, it was that on Judith Sapuma. 20 hours, 11 minutes. It's a new week, new day, 21st of June, 2021. Good evening, folks. Welcome to the SFM Viewpoint. Thank you so much for your time and patronage of the, the period. Phineas Lesejo and Songezo are in studio. And our first guest this new week on The Viewpoint is Ms. Sanusha Naidu, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue. This is the segment of the Hashtag Weekend Wrap. I'm specifically introducing her now like this because I want you to be very sure that we do not have WhatsApp facility this evening. Don't ask me why. I think you get the drill now. It's happened before. It's happening again. It's not the last. It's happening probably. Let's please call. No voice notes, no voicemail, nothing. Nothing on WhatsApp. Forget WhatsApp. You're calling me, potentially. You're connecting via Twitter, and then we can engage there, please. Otherwise, Johannesburg. 714-2006 714-2006 is the number to dial. A couple of things we're talking about this evening. I don't really want to talk about Malusi Gigaba because oh, I've just had enough of him and the fact that whenever he speaks, I can I cannot believe the guy when he speaks. The third wave, of course, high infection rates in Gauteng and in the Western Cape's garden route. And, of course, with the deployment of the South African National Defense Force, officials the, from the military health services at Chris Anibaragonath Hospital tells you everything you need to know about how dangerous this third wave really is. The protests along the N3 in Harrismith, something to be talked about, as is the fact that we have lost one of South Africa's leading businessmen, former chairperson of ESCOM, Passing away from COVID-19 related complications last week, Mr. Jabu Mabuza. Ms. Sanusha Naidu, thank you so much for joining us on SAFM. Good evening. Good evening, Sangeeza, and thank you for having me again, and good evening to the listeners. Shall we talk about the reality that is the third wave? I mean, there can mm-hmm. be no denying the brutality this one is. Hospitals mm-hmm. again are having to shift beds and resources and do with excess capacity and demand. The mm-hmm. fact that for the first time, we, it didn't happen last year, the deployment of the South African Military Health Services to a public hospital, mm-hmm. as Chris mm-hmm. Anibaragwanath is, and the fact that we are on level three lockdown, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. This is as good a time just for us to have a reality check with ourselves as South African, and that COVID is here, has been here, and we are required to do a lot more than we have done if this trend is to be bucked in any way. Indeed, uh, Sangeeza. I think you can't, you know, the way you put it across cannot be stressed more. We've been, we've been told to prepare for this. We've been warned about the third wave. Uh, it was just a matter of time when it was going to uh, become part of our reality in terms of where we are now. We know that Gauteng and the Garden Route in the Western Cape are, are, are basically epicenters, particularly in Gauteng. Listening to the Premier this afternoon talk about um, the province and the state of the province, I think he himself was, you know, at the point in which he was implore, imploring people to to, be, to 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 look at their behavior. The president himself also uh, raised this point uh, around uh, how you need to change social behavior. I think what makes this third wave, unlike the, the first and second wave, is yeah. just understanding. The, the way this infection is going to spread and the trans the, 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 the how transmissible this infection is so it's not about 
just, you know, uh, doing what you normally do and thinking that you won't get it because it's, it's, it's much more infectious and the spread is much more transmissible. Um, and listening to experts uh, in, in, in talking about this third wave, the other thing that we've got to watch out for is the question of oxygen levels. And the fact of the matter is uh, I've seen a, a report or two that has suggested that generally across South Africa, our oxygen supply levels are quite low. And if we enter a situation, not on the scale of what happened in India, but even in a, in a, in a kind of minute scale of what happened in India, we are facing a very, very, a very, very uh, disheartening, destructive uh, situation. Because if we don't have the levels of oxygen that people can go to hospital, we don't have the beds, and we're having this whole crisis of, of infrastructure and conditions in hospitals being unable to cope then we're facing, you know, India is a population of 1.4 billion people. We are a population of just under 60 million people. And I think any 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 uh, uh, small amount of impact is going to have a dire impact and ex- a, a, a really profound impact on our on our health system, but also in terms of lives and, and, and how do we save lives. So I think to a large extent, this is not to be taken lightly. I think Again, we've been told that, you know, we must prepare for it. I, I hear that in, in Gauteng, maybe the peak is going to come by the end of June. But we must also not become complacent and assume that if, I'm, if I go to a supermarket, if I see people, you know, in, in, in settings where people are having uh, either family gatherings or after tears party or whatever, we've got to be vigilant as well as our behavior. We understand the state hasn't hasn't managed to to, to address the situation. We understand that this has this the situation in the state with regard to the public health sector, the infrastructure, the conditions has been a festering issue for years and now exacerbated by COVID-19 for the unpreparedness of our public health sector at times. But I think, I think it's also, it's also a, a, a reality check for us to think about ourselves and how we take responsibility as well. Yes, we can, com- we can complain about the state, and I think there's at times rightful complaints about the state, but we also got to think about how we protect ourselves and not be reckless and endanger other people. And I think this is why it's important that we understand that this third wave is unlike the first and second wave. We may not have uh, new variants. We're still sitting with the Delta variant and the British variant, which is very transmissible. But the problem is that the spread is much more expedient and higher now than it was previously. Yeah, yeah. It suddenly got real and it keeps getting real. Ms. Sanusha Naidu, senior research fellow, giving us her perspectives on hashtag the weekend wrap, the first segment here in the new week of The Viewpoint. She is at the Institute for Global Dialogue. I repeat the number for us to engage the listeners at home. Please dial us on Johannesburg 714-2006. The WhatsApp platform, both for voice or for written text, is not available this evening. So we simply revert to old and tested ways. Give us a call. Share your thoughts and move on. 60 sec- 90 seconds, I beg your pardon. It is a 90-second phone call that we will take simply because we're trying to manage traffic. The SMS line, something which we seldom use, is available this evening, 41391-413911. Send us an SMS and I'll happily read that. After the ad break, we are taking calls. Ms. Anusha Naidu is going to speak about the deployment, the deployment aspect of the military health services to Chris Ani Baragwanath and what we should 
expect. Remember, this is not a military hospital. It is a public hospital, so the protocols that you are ordinarily used to should indeed be the ones you should experience. And I'm saying this particularly because last year, around about this time, there were challenges or two in terms of how the defense force were handling itself in civil society. And need I say more than the name Collins Corsa, if ever that didn't make any sense to you. Of course, the Harry Smith protest as well, something to talk about after this ad break. SMS SAFM now on 41391. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapete on SAFM. We continue the conversations of the of the weekend, I suppose, and matters that have since arisen from the last time we spoke. Now we're talking about the deployment of the South African National Defence Force to Chris Baragonath Hospital as government looks to increase and reinforce its capacity in public hospitals in the wake of the very dangerous third wave in which we are now in. Of course, it has seen the president just make measures a little more stringent with his address last week, Monday, to the country. So it's clear where we are and we can only implore citizens to be responsible. That said, it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. And something has to be said with the conduct of the South African Defence Force last year, which this year absolutely cannot be repeated insofar as how they engage the public. Sanusha? Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think we've got to be very, very clear that the deployment of the military, and in particular in this case, it's the military health personnel who will be going into the two hospitals, and in particular in the Kauteng province, to assist the medical of uh, the medical um, uh, uh, sector in the in the province with the testing, with other health, um, health um, care uh, assistance. Now, I think in terms of that, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit different from Giza, to, to, to what we saw last year in terms of what the military was supposed to be doing, helping with the, with the lockdown measure, uh, lockdown regulation five, uh, ensuring that the curfew was being maintained, uh, making sure that people were you know, at home at, at, at that particular time when the curfew started to kick in. But also we saw that they weren't really prepared to deal with people who may be, uh, you know, they'd be calling up to say, you know, you, 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 you may be uh, violating the regulations, etc. We saw, you know, the, the incidences of the fact that the military did not necessarily know how to deal with the situation. I mean, the question is, you know, the training is there. The, uh, the, you know, are they, are, they, are they equipped to deal with civilian issues? And I think that's a challenge as well. But then at the same time, we can say the same thing of the police or the security cluster. You know, we see the police and how they have difficulty when it comes to civilian policing. And that's a challenge as well. But I think in this case, it's about the, the capacity to deliver uh, the, the capacity, the cooperation, the, the ability to assist in the, in, in the medical um, uh, sector of the, of the Gauteng health uh, 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 care uh, uh, Mandate, but more importantly, I think is to is to is to enable for the testing to take place because you must remember that part of the challenge is also that we are testing, but we're also a little bit back with the te- back back behind in the testing. But the testing is also very important because if we're seeing a rate of over ten percent, almost double to where the positive testing rate should be, if we if we won't, I mean, in the run up to this to the, to the third wave, we should have been ideally. Uh, around about four or five percent positive testing, but we've now I think doubled, and, if, and maybe in this case I haven't seen the stats, but my sense is that we've kind of gone beyond that, beyond double to maybe tripling in terms of the positive test rate. So I think they're also there to assist in that backlog. 
But at the same time, I, I, see, I saw a report um, today, I think it was, where some doctors, young doctors are saying they're unemployed, they're not being, empl- uh, uh, being employed, where they can actually go into the, into the healthcare profession, go into the hospitals to assist, but they're not being employed. So I think there's another challenge to that in terms of the deployment of the health of the military pers- uh, healthcare personnel versus those doctors and nurses who are not employed and are actually wanting to be employed or to be able to also assist in some capacity to help in this whole kind of engagement around uh, the capacity and building the, 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 the strength in terms of the backlog and the uh, s- assistance to the healthcare system in Kauteng. Mm-hmm. Whilst we're, of course, waiting for callers to come through on Johannesburg 714-2006, I do wish to visit the Twitter page, and there's already engagement from one of our listeners, Linda Kess. Patiently waiting on the discussion of the Garden Root cases on SAFM with Butsonga Zomabete. Also, what is your guest's opinion on private vaccination sites, including Pinelands, and Old Mutual in the Cape area. First, a discussion on garden root cases, the upsurge there, given the fact that the Western Cape is now also becoming quite like Gauteng insofar as it relates to the surge, and your opinion on non-government sites. Okay, so with regard to the, the, the garden root case, I mean, I haven't looked at the latest figures, but I think it's an area that in, even in the last, uh, wave of the of the pandemic in the second wave it was one of those hotspot areas in fact i think that was one of the areas where when the president was closing down um, uh, beaches across the country uh, there was a whole controversy in that in that region in that um, route where people were arguing why are you doing this but again i think it tells you that in 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 the western cape you've got your hotspots uh, you've got your hotspots both in the metro, outside of the metro, as well as um, within the, 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 the Winelands district and then going down to the Southern Cape and in that context as well. How the Western Cape government, uh, in particular the provincial government of the DA, deals with it, they, they've come out with their responses to say that they are prepared for the third wave. They've been putting um, all kinds of uh, structures and implementation of plans into place and they've been monitoring this. Of course, this does this means that, you know, that it, it it, it, it has to be looked at in the context of as much as they have all of this in place, we also got to remember that in this in a context of a pandemic, you'll never be at, at, at the at the front end of pushing the, the pandemic back. The pandemic will always be pushing you back. Mm. And I think that's going to be a critical space to watch. But I think in the Western Cape, we've got to look at hotspots areas that are outside of the of the metro in particular. In, in, in the in the Wineland districts, in the in the areas as I suggested, uh, in the Southern Cape, and more importantly, I think also in areas that are on the periphery of the of the metro, because I think that to a large extent we're going into winter here in the Western Cape. I mean, of course, we're going into winter across the country, but in the Western Cape you have these heavy rains, very wet, um, and and it, and it, and the whole situation could become even more. Uh, exacerbated by the fact that you have uh, a lot of informal settlements, you have waterlogged areas where people are living on these areas, whether in Kailicha or whatever. And so these these service delivery questions, the question of how informal settlements, housing, uh, water sanitation, waterlogged areas, etc., can actually precipitate and 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 also exacerbate the spread of the of the of the, of the virus. So I think that's another area that could act as a spike and and a, and a disruptor to the plans of the that the city has and the, and the government has and how they prepare for that in terms of early uh, in terms of their disaster management processes again is going to be important with regard to the 
sorry, the second one uh, was about the private vaccination centers. The private vaccination, yeah. Um, private vaccination. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's it's it's, it's something that we should um, completely disregard. If it helps to vaccinate people and it helps to reach the target of where our vaccination rollout should be, then it's something that should be complementary to the to the role of what the, the state and what the state is doing in terms of its own vaccination policy uh, and and its rollout program. I, I think uh, what we've got to be very clear about Sundiso is the uh, is the is the fact that if it's private, it, uh, you know, are people paying for it in a in a private capacity? Are medical aids covering the cost, or are medical aids uh, charging their, their their members? I'm not sure. I, I think we've got to. I think with the with the old mutual one, let me give you a story. I took my mom last week. She she was one of those that she registered on the EVDS system. Mm. And uh, she got a, she got an SMS. So she was she was she was a very patient citizen. She waited for the SMS to come through, and uh, she was then asked to go to the uh, to the old mutual uh, to the to metropolitan center in in uh, in Belgo. And it, it you know there was a lot of people there who had also received an SMS to come within the particular time, and it went smoothly and it was done very efficiently. Yes, there were some pickups along the way, there were walk-ins, there was a bit of confusion, but nevertheless it went smoothly. And in the in the actual vaccination center itself, it was done quite well. So uh, there was nothing she paid for. Every, I mean, all she had to say was she she had a medical aid number because she's on a medical aid, and that was it. But I think what's important as well is that if the private sector is coming, private clinics are coming in, we've got to make sure that they're doing this not necessarily charging the state something, but they should do it in terms of the surplus funds that they have in their in their kitty to cover the cost as well in terms of whatever they need to cover. Because I think at the end of the day, the, the, the most important thing here with, with, with private clinics or private vaccination centers, etc., is not to basically make money out of this, but to actually do this in the context of what is a public health right and look at that in the context of the constitution and how that plays out so i think for me if that can work in synergy with each other that would be more important to help vaccinate more people so that we reach that 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 40 percent of what the state wants to achieve in terms of herd immunity fantastic we have to wrap things up a bit but we can't not have even a passing comment on the protests along the n3 in harry smith free state a bird's eye view what's happening there it's been happening for quite some time now but more importantly the safety of travelers okay so i think the harry smith issue is really a a a kind of very a microcosm of the fact that people are dissatisfied in the municipalities they are in and they are protesting that they are not receiving service delivery or they're being marginalized from service delivery out uh service delivery uh programs they want to not be part of a particular municipality in the in the Harrismith area. They feel other municipalities are having more advantage and leverage, and they're just frustrated. And I think that's that's the that's part of the course right now across the country. And the bird's eye view is that this is going to be a serious uh, dilemma for for the ANC-led municipalities, for the local government election, where people are not going to accept that you just got to stay within that municipality. And we've seen this continuously, Songizo, uh, when when local government elections happen. It happened in in, in in, in KZN, uh, in, in, in Freyhate, with regard to the whole question of the, the one area that refused to, to be part of a particular municipality, another municipality wanting to go into another region. And this is just part of the course, and it's just becoming more and more intensified and entrenched. I'll say no more. It's an ongoing story, even though we are led to believe by ANC's 
presidency head Swongi Lebesane that they have met with Harry Smith, the Harry Smith shutdown committee has been successful, whatever the successful part thereof means. It's a developing story, as I've said, we will touch on it, if not in tomorrow's broadcast, certainly in the broadcast of Wednesday and Thursday, once more information crystallizes. A final comment. Jabu Mabuza is late, COVID-19 complications, but he really cut his teeth out as a businessman who, by most accounts in the wake of his passing, is one person who should be regarded as a hero and one who advocated for good governance in rather some turbulent times, and who can forget when he was at ESCOM. Jabu Mabuza, 63 years, gone too soon, some might feel. Indeed. Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, this 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 is a wake-up call for all of us that this virus does not discriminate. It does not, you, you can't say with any certainty that I've done everything. It, it's just a matter of how you just need to be respectful to others and grateful and thankful and just be nice. Fantastic. Thank you so much there, Ms. Sanusha Naidu, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute for Global Dialogue. That was hashtag Weekend Wrap, done after the break.